The views in this podcast are the participants' own and are not the views of their respective companies. Welcome to Aerox The Legacy Life, the podcast asking, what does a career in runoff insurance or reinsurance actually look like? I'm your host, Katie Reynolds, and today we're joined by Ed Hochberg, Head of Global Risk Solutions at Guy Carpenter. Hi, Ed. Thank you so much for joining us today. Why don't we just get started uh, and you can describe what you do in your role as Head of Global Risk Solutions? Sure. So, Guy Carpenter is one of the largest intermediaries in the world, as you probably know. Uh, we're part of Marsh McLennan. My group was constructed and put together soon after the merger of JLT with Marsh McLennan back in 2019. And it brought together the best of, of the legacy firms, uh, JLT and Guy Carpenter, in a, in a global group that is focused really on problem solving. We solve various problems for our clients. Often those problems are related to capital, volatility, and legacy. And our group, we construct solutions and we execute them in the market. And so that's largely what we do. Within the remit of uh, Global Risk Solutions is, uh, is structured reinsurance and it also includes legacy in all its many forms. We take care of that. We get involved in projects literally all around the world and of all shapes and sizes. And, and usually they're ones that are, are not the low, le- low level of degree of difficulty. We tend to get involved in ones that are, are usually a little trickier and require more thought as to what's going to be the best way to execute the transaction, either by a market or structure or some other element. And so you know, that definitely keeps us out of trouble. And we've been very busy over the course of the of the last three years. How did you get to where you are now? Can you describe your career path for us? Sure. When I was like five years old, I decided I wanted to be in reinsurance. <laughs> Didn't we all do that? <laughs> we, we absolutely did. Yes. So no, actually, um, I think I was in college when I first heard the term reinsurance. So uh, it was, uh, it was, sort of a, a, a winding path that got here. I'm an accountant by training. I started my career with Deloitte way back when, so long ago that it was called Deloitte Haskins and Sells when I started. Yep. Um, so it's it goes back a ways. But I was exposed to runoff very early on in my career. In fact, when I was in my first year, I was on the Colonial Pen Audit. And Colonial Pen back then was owned by a public utility, weirdly. And they had gotten involved in some MGA business in the, uh, in the late 70s, early 80s. And it didn't go particularly well. And that had to be disposed of and, and dealt with over the course of, of the next several years. And so I got involved in a lot of special projects that had to do with all sorts of difficult problems related to you know, MGAs that weren't um, weren't managed very well, quite frankly, and had, you know, claims that were much higher than anybody thought and reinsurance collectability problems and all sorts of issues. So I, I really learned a lot and, uh, and sort of took that experience. And later on, I was involved with a lot of different uh, insurance accounts, but one of which was American Centennial, which really was weirdly enough, was the, the beginnings of, of a lot of what is likely the, sort of the modern runoff movement in, in many respects. A lot of the people that 
or there are or involved in a lot of different elements of uh, of the construction of the what I'd call the modern runoff movement. And so I, I got to see firsthand how all of the you know the commutation strategy and really taking that entity and and getting rid of the liabilities systematically over the course of I guess it was probably about you know seven years or so and uh, pretty remarkable and and that was that was pretty eye-opening to me and I learned a, a lot about how runoff works and and a lot of the finance behind it and it was and it was certainly pretty fascinating to me. Then I moved to PMA. And so interestingly, a lot of the things that Keith Kaplan were talking about and on your prior podcast, like I was was like, oh yeah, (laughs) I was I was there. Yes. In fact, I was even on the reliance engagement when he was there. So yeah, a lot of overlap there. But I was with PMA um, originally in in corporate finance for PMA Re, but then moved to the Holdco. We did a lot of different restructuring transactions, a, a, a lot of which were related to the disposal of some workers' comp liabilities from the early and mid-80s that needed to be uh, disposed of and dealt with differently. And we did several other restructuring transactions over the course of, of my time there, which I was there for, for nearly 10 years. So learned um, all different ways to attack problems of legacy in different ways to address it and and deal with it. We had going for us back then a little bit more of an interest rate environment that lent itself to some transactions that we probably couldn't do quite the same way today. But uh, we we learned a lot about the market and who the markets were and 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 the way they would approach these types of transactions. And um, and you know ultimately they they were done quite successfully. After after a while, I decided that I wanted to be a broker. And and oh wait, so, how did that happen? How did you get from doing you know, everything we just talked about into broking? Because that seems okay, so, like a little bit of a leap. Yes, it was a little bit of a leap. Well, I so I left out one part of it. After a few years at PMA, I moved from corporate finance into to run an underwriting division. Back then, we called it finite risk. We don't call it that anymore. And and what had happened was they. We're looking for somebody really, really good to run that group when they wanted to start it up. They couldn't find anybody, so they asked me to do it, and uh, and so that's how that came about. And so I was in that space. And while we didn't do legacy in the way we think of legacy today, we did a lot of structured reinsurance, and there were some retroactive type deals and things like that that we that we did. Not a lot of them back then, but we 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 were involved with that, and so. I got to know the market very well, and I felt like I could add a lot more as a broker, not being necessarily constrained to my own company's risk appetite, that the the ways that I could solve clients' problems would be broader. I would have a much bigger palette of colors to to work with to to solve clients' problems, and and that was something that really appealed to me. So I, I, I moved to... Towers Perrin in 2003, and in a group that was called Pegasus Advisors, which was specialists in in what we called finite risk back then. And over time, we sort of merged into the to the broader Towers Perrin. I was one of a cohort then that was uh, that has the distinction of being acquired three times in nine years. So, so you know, have that experience too. But uh, I, I never got far away from 
from legacy and structured risk in that context. Even though I went on and did other things in addition to structured risk and and legacy type transactions, I would always sort of come back to that. So even in in 2015, I became when we were acquired by um, by uh, JLT, I became CEO of JLT Re North America. And even in my role as, as CEO, I tend to get involved in some in some legacy transactions, uh, and I couldn't I could never stay away from it. And so I, I got pretty involved with, with those. Um, and and really, and during that time, I would say there was a, a trend towards intermediaries being much more involved in what we would really consider to be legacy and runoff type transactions. And I, I distinguish that from more reinsurance oriented adverse development covers and things like that, you know, the type of things that really are more akin to, to the M&A space than they are to just the, the reinsurance space. And a lot of those transactions had been done more directly, I would say, over the historically. And we really got involved much more. And, and we were part of that trend of brokers that were really helping to intermediate you know, and I'd say that took place really over the course of the the last decade, and we were, you know, I think part of that trend. I think a lot of parties, you know, we you know called sellers, began to understand that the advice on structuring and project management and execution is something that would add value to the process, and I, I think we've been able to prove that. And between us and 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 some of our distinguished competitors, I think, you know, we've done a pretty good job of, of penetrating that space. And our group has definitely been part of that. And so after we were acquired by Marsh Mac in, uh, in 2019, the idea was we would cons- we'd create this, this global group that would focus on problems, including legacy, and, and really make a specific business out of it. And it's, and it's worked quite well. It's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun. So, as you know, our podcast is about getting young professionals interested yep. in the space. One of the things that I have noticed, and this might this might be just completely inaccurate, but just my perception, there seem to be more young professionals in broking than in other areas. Do, is that is that true, or am I just making that you up? Know, and, yeah, it's a good question. I think I think you're probably right. We have uh, so if we look at it. And I think Keith actually alluded to this in, in his podcast, and, and this is true. There was a big gap for a while. So if, if you look at my cohort, where my cohort ends, there's basically like a 10-year-plus gap where the industry as a whole didn't invest in young talent quite so much. That has largely changed. And now we do have, a, a, I think, a pretty solid cohort of younger people I wouldn't say it's just in brokers. Uh, I, I think we see it at, at reinsurance companies too. We see it in in some insurers, but definitely in in broking firms, we have invested in young talent in the next generation, and it's it's really important because we're we're all getting we're all getting all older. So, <laughs> and so yeah, I think that's I think you're I I think you're right in that the brokers firms are more weighted towards younger folks than uh, than maybe other elements of the industry. But I think it's getting better throughout the industry. 
I do agree that it is getting better. I think there's more focus on it in colleges now and whatnot, but at least in terms of looking specifically at the big brokers, and Tiger has a lot of young folks and I think Aon does as well. What are the brokers doing to bring in this young talent and how, how are they being attracted? How are they being retained? Like what is happening that maybe the reinsurers could be doing or, or, or what have you? I think that we offer a pretty wide variety of things to get involved with. I think one of the things that we've done a really good job with as, you know, I'm looking at the brokers as an industry, number one, exposing our young people to a lot of different things. So they're not stagnating and doing the same thing day in, day out, year in, year out. They're getting exposure and pushed along at a clip that I think is faster than had been in previous years. You know, I'm looking at the cohort at Guy Carpenter, who I thought of them as being kids, but actually they're being promoted now to vice president, assistant vice president, and they're they're moving along quickly and they're getting more responsibility very quickly. It, you know, I think there was a perception in the past, like until you've been in the business for 10 years, you can't possibly do this or do that. And I think we're moving away from that. I, I think, you know, I look at some of the, the kids that we've hired and, and what they are able to do now and the way they, they talk about the business and the, and the way that they can really talk to anyone from the C-suite on down it's really impressive and we've given them the tools to do that. And I, I think that makes it a challenging and rewarding experience. And you make things challenging and rewarding that will also help with, uh, with retention, you know, uh, because money only gets you so far, it's important, but people have to want to come to work every day. And I think we've done a good job with that as a, as a business. Do you have any advice for young professionals, anything that may have worked particularly well for you in your career? A few different things. And I think um, actually, you know, Keith said it pretty well, but it's, it's like, number one, like be an expert in something. Find something that excites you and get expertise in it. There are so many things in our business that are like that. So legacy is one. And, you know, I mean, legacy is an area. I can tell you that there are people that think our group or like we're magicians because we understand this stuff. And it's sort of second nature to us because we've been doing it for so long and we have studied it and we've asked questions and we've really immersed ourselves in it. But there's other things too, whether it's cyber or, you know, excess liability or environmental, but there's lots of different areas where that sort of specialized expertise is number one, valuable. It's if it's something that's interesting to you, it's something that will get you out of bed and and you'll get a lot of fulfillment from a career perspective. And you know, I, I think it really helps propel a career. I mean, when you when you are an expert in a subject area, it really puts you in a different light. And so that that's some of the best advice that I could give is become an expert in in something. And then you always have to be thinking about. Am I adding value? If you're doing something and you're kind of asking yourself, does anybody really care? Or is this really, <laughs> if, this is, if, this is, if this isn't really, from what you can tell, adding any, any value, you got to ask yourself whether that's the right place to be. Because at some point, somebody will notice, hmm, you know, this probably isn't adding any value. 
I tell my kids, always be close to the revenue, but it's it, it, that's probably an oversimplification. It's always be adding value, always be in a place where you are increasing the, the value of stakeholders in one way or the other. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, other than the fact that I, I'm a huge proponent of what we're doing here with, within AROC and this group and educating and demystifying the runoff industry. I think part of what has perhaps slowed down the development of young professionals in our area is that it's it seems very mysterious. And, at, and in the past, I think it even seemed a little bit sketchy. I think we've done a lot over the course of the last decade to bring it out of the shadows and now to really spend time educating and demystifying. I think that will really help in getting you know more young people involved with that and getting that next generation of leaders in the runoff space involved. And we need that because there, there's no there's no question about that. Within Guy Carpenter, we are going to start doing some rotations, bringing some of our brokers who are interested in it, bringing them through, teaching them about it. And I think for some, they'll be like, oh, this, that was interesting, but I don't want to do this. And others, they'll be like, oh, this is great. We'll want to do this. And now we've got our successors, our next generation coming, coming up behind us. And then, you know, I, th- I think there's a little bit of like, we have to toot our own horn. There's a lot of what we do that which could be perceived as boring. But actually, what we do in here is it can be viewed as like banking or M&A. It can be as glamorous as that. And or, because there's a lot of overlap, there's a lot of what we do, which is which is quite similar to that. And kind of have to spread the word a little bit. Like, actually, no, this isn't boring at all. It's it, you like that sort of thing. It, it's it's here for you. So uh, I think getting that getting that word out and, and promote and being a little bit more promotional about it, I think would be helpful. So, but anyway, I really, I really love what you guys are doing. And I think, uh, um, I, well, anything I can do to support it, I will. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Ed. We really appreciate all of your time and your insights. With that, I'm going to cue the music and close this out. The Next Gen Task Force is part of AROC, the only U.S.-based nonprofit association focusing on the legacy or runoff sector of the insurance and reinsurance industries. AROC serves the industry by providing education, networking, information, and data. Learn more about what we do at www.aroc.org or contact AROC's executive director, Carolyn Fahey, at carolyn at aroc.org. That's A-I-R-R-O-C.org. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.